Patagonia was never meant to be like other companies. Its founder, Yvon Chouinard, has revolutionized the industry many times over. He co-founded 1% for the Planet, and he's been on the cover of Fortune magazine. But as he makes it clear in his book, Let My People Go Surfing, he's a reluctant entrepreneur whose true love is to kayak, surf, and climb the wilds of the world, and hopefully save them along the way. On Treehugger Radio, the theme of growth in green businesses is always something recurring. Is Patagonia growing? Is growth central to your company's philosophy? Well, no, growth isn't central at all, because I'm trying to run this company as if it's going to be your 100 years from now. And if you took where we are today, and if we had like 15% growth, like public companies, you know, need to do to have their stock stay up in value, I mean, I'd be a multi-trillion dollar company in 40 years, which is impossible, of course. So all of these companies that are going for the, the big growth, if it continues for any length of time, you outlast your uh, your resources and you outlast your customers and you go belly up. And that's why these huge companies have these massive layoffs all the time, you know, 20,000 people laid off, stuff like that. And so since I'm trying to run this company like it's going to be here 100 years from now, we have to limit our growth and we keep it to what we call natural growth. So in other words, I don't advertise on billboards in inner cities so that kids buy our black down jackets instead of North Faces or something. I, I, in fact, we hardly advertise at all. We grow by letting the customer tell us. So when the customer tells us that they're frustrated, they just got their catalog and we're already out of the product they wanted, then it tells me that we're not making enough. So it's, it's kind of what we call natural growth. We let the customer tell us instead of creating an artificial demand for our products. And, you know, anytime you're making products that people don't need, then you're at the mercy of the economy. You're at the mercy of whatever's going on. And uh, so we try to avoid that, that situation. So, yeah, we grow. We grow, you know, between 3 and sometimes uh, 7 or 8% a year or something. But we, we pretty much control it. I, I'm fascinated by the idea of trying to picture what Patagonia will look like 100 years from now, especially considering sort of a grim outlook on the ecological future that we've got ahead of us. What do you see in your mind when you think of Patagonia a century from now? Well, I don't. I I live for the moment. I'm kind of a basically a Buddhist type person. I'm I'm just here right now and and um I don't I don't think about what's gonna happen hundred years from now. I try to concentrate on what's going on right now. But, you know, I am really trying to keep this company like it is going to be here 100 years from now. That's what's important. I don't think society is going to be here 100 years from now. I don't think there'll be humans, but there won't be very many of us. I think think we're just heading for a crash, an economic crash, probably, first of all, brought about by uh, basically running out of resources, whether it's petroleum or topsoil or water, and it could be all of them all at once within, you know, a decade or two. And uh, and then you got an economic crash, and then 
and then uh, you know fighting over resources resource wars which we're already doing of course and uh, it's going to be pretty nasty i think you know uh, there's no way i could do a plan for this company say what's this place going to be like by 2020 i have no idea i i just know that since we're running out of petroleum that we better stop being dependent on making polyester underwear out of virgin petroleum and so that's why we've teamed up with some Japanese companies to basically by 2010 to make all of our clothing out of recycled and recyclable fibers and we're going to accept the responsibility we're going to accept ownership of our of our, our products from birth till birth so we're going to make as far as, as much as we can, we're going to make all our products so that you buy a, sh a jacket from us, a shirt or a pair of pants, or whatever. When you're done with it, you can give it back to us, and we'll make more shirts and pants out of that, which is a different idea about consuming. Right now, you know, the world runs on consuming and discarding, and we're saying um, that we're taking responsibility for our product from birth till birth. I mean, imagine if a computer company said, when you're done with your computer, uh, we'll buy it back from you and we'll make more computers out of it. Instead, they sell you a computer and you can't even get service from them. <laughs> Try and call them. It's a, it's a different way of accepting responsibility. Well, let's talk about this product flow a little bit. You started this campaign called Leading the Examined Life, and on Patagonia.com there's a mini-site called the Footprint Chronicles, and it shows how Patagonia products, they're truly global products, cotton fiber from Turkey, recycled yeah. polyester from Japan, spun in Bangkok and sewn in Mexico and Vietnam. Companies are always bemoaning the difficulty of getting transparency when production is all over the globe like this, but Patagonia seems to be embracing this. How are you making it work? Well, you're absolutely right. It is very difficult. That's why we we started with only five products, um, five kind of representative products, because to do it on every single product is it costs a fortune, and it's a lot of work. But um, we're gradually going through all our products, and we're going to add another five this year. And um, and as we learn from them what we learn can apply to other products that aren't on the footprint chronicles. But, uh, but it's a, it's a difficult, hard process. And, you know, it's always been difficult for us to lead and examine life as a corporation. You know, I've always felt like a company has a responsibility to not wait for the government to tell them what to do or wait for the consumer to tell them what to do that as soon as you find out you're doing something wrong, stop doing it, you know? And it adds a different element in business. It's, it, you know, asking a bunch of questions about all your processes and stuff, it's, it's, it's difficult. Like when we first started years ago, there's no books on, on uh, whether cotton dyes are toxic or nylon dyes are toxic or, or no one even knew anything about uh, how industrially grown cotton is processed and, and how bad it is. And it's just, there was nothing available. We had to find all this out ourselves. We had to ask a million questions, but then 
once you educate yourself, then you're left with choices. And this company exists to ask the questions and make the choices and then prove that it's good business to other companies so that they can do it. Something that really stands out in something like the Footprint Chronicles where you're showing this this interconnectivity is this willingness to highlight the shortcomings, the pitfalls, the negative impacts created by the processes and the products as well as all the benefits and the positive steps. Where does that attitude come from? Have you always been so eager to tell people about the the dark side of the products they're buying? Well, we're very self-critical here for one thing because if you're not, then you just cruise along, you know. And we're very self-critical and we're very idealistic. And so when we find we're doing something wrong, we really want to change it. But I think only by being honest can we show the full extent of the problem. And right now there's a lot of green glossing going on, green marketing. And, you know, a lot of companies are saying, oh, yeah, well, we're making sustainable clothing out of bamboo. Well, you know, we don't use any bamboo because it uses really toxic chemicals in its process. I mean, the bamboo itself is grown, um, you know, without chemicals and stuff like that. But the process of converting it into cloth is very toxic. And, and making clothing out of corn. I mean, corn is a disaster as a crop. You know, it uses fossil water that's millions of years old. It's, it's not being replenished. It uses all kinds of chemicals. It's, it's genetically modified. You know, with people starving around the world to be making clothing out of corn or ethanol is absolutely stupid. But, you know, there's companies that are saying, oh, yeah, we're making sustainable clothing out of corn. So there's a lot of misinformation out there, especially right now with all of these companies claiming to be green and stuff like that. And so we want to be absolutely dead honest on how difficult it is and that in reality there's no such thing as sustainability. No matter how clean and green we can be, we're still net polluters. Is that unavoidable? Yeah. There's no such thing as sustainability. You know, you can't manufacture a product without ending up with more waste and pollution than you actually than your final product. I mean, that's just a second law of thermodynamics. You can't help it. But you know, and it's complex. I mean, we grow cotton in say Turkey, and uh, and then it gets sent all over the world and stuff. But but you know, when you're shipping by ship, say from Thailand to San Francisco. And then by truck from San Francisco to our warehouse in Reno, you're probably causing more damage shipping it from San Francisco to Reno than you are from Thailand to San Francisco because, you know, a ship is very, very efficient energy-wise. A truck is very inefficient. You know, trains are more efficient than trucks, than automobiles, planes. Planes are the least efficient of all. If you have to air freight, your product around the world in, you're causing a lot of damage. So you got to got to take that into account when you're talking about, oh, we should be doing local production. It may not be. It may not be a better thing to do. Yeah, it's it's a. I mean, leading an examined life, I, I always say, it's a real pain in the ass. <laughs> it makes it adds an element of complexity to business that uh, most businessmen just don't want to hear about. They just they just want to call a uh, fabric manufacturer and say, hey, give me 10,000 yards of shirting, you know. 
But don't you think this has attracted people who also see that as a creative challenge? People who might not be inspired by business just for the sake of making a profit, but for actually solving this puzzle and figuring out where everything comes from? Uh, very many people like that <laughs> that are in business for those reasons. Most people are in business to make money, 